Nick, you know what I like? What? Fresh coffee. Gabe, that's literally everyone. Everyone likes fresh coffee. Yeah, 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 but I know that. But actually, how many people get fresh coffee? I mean, most of it's roasted weeks before you take a sip. With Fruit of the Bean Coffee Roasters, that's not an issue. The coffee is roasted once you place the order, guaranteeing that you get the freshest coffee possible. So unless you live on a coffee farm, this is the best way to enjoy your next cup of coffee, or a pot of coffee if you share our coffee drinking habits. Oh yeah, and another thing. Fruit of the Bean donates 10% of their net proceeds to help orphans and those affected by human trafficking, and you can even see how much they've donated on their website. Check out their site today for an extra 20% off as a special discount during these crazy times. Their website is fruitofthebean.com. Use code CARDBOARD when you check out for an extra 25% off. You better not have deleted the whole episode. I didn't delete the whole episode, Nick. Gosh darn it. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Quarantine Box Seats. You can uh, clearly see that me and Nick are uh, very mad at each other with this whole social distancing thing. It's called Cardboard Box Seats. You've been trapped inside too long. Did you forget the name of our podcast? I think I'm going to open the blinds for the first time this week. We're going to see what the sun looks like. Anyway. Are you going to do it right now? No, I'm not going to do it right now. We're not going to get it recorded. Anyway, we just had probably one of our favorite episodes... What did you think? Who are you kidding? I don't know. All my episodes, all the episodes we do are my favorite. What a good politician. Uh, so, our favorite, like a good parent. Yeah, like a good parent. You don't have uh, favorites. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's what's going on in my head. <laughs> um, so this is actually our favorite player interview. How about that? There we go. Perfect. Yeah. And you said I'm a good politician. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so this is our first player interview. We're super excited about it, um, and it's with Billy McShepard. He's an overseas player right now in Israel, but he has played for, like, six other countries, which is wild, and he'll talk about a little bit about it in the, uh, the interview. Yeah, it was so much fun. We had a blast doing the, doing the interview. We learned so much about playing international basketball. Uh, there's a big difference, in case you didn't know, and Billy talks about that in the episode. And he also talks about the strangest thing he's given an autograph on, as well as has he ever used the line, hey, listen, I play pro basketball, to get into a party. Spoiler alert, it's worked. Check it out. Oh, wait. Actually, before we do that, Nick, can, can you do the saxophone? Here you go. Have you ever heard of an armchair quarterback? It means someone has an opinion but doesn't necessarily participate in the sport. But it also means that they care enough about the sport to discuss it and try to make it better. In our basketball world, we call this cardboard box seats. We see the game from afar like true fans, but we always show up with the same intensity as if we were at the games ourselves. We don't have the money or the connections like the other talking heads on TV, but we do have some ideas which might seem too out there, and honestly, we've got opinions which might change. Either way, we have fun, so come and watch the game with us from our cardboard box seats. Hey everybody, welcome back to Cardboard Box Seats. Uh, Gabe's here. Nick's here. Starting forward, 6'10", weighing in at 230, Billy McShepard. Uh, woo. <laughs> uh, what's up? 
<laughs> What's going on, Billy? You doing all right with this whole uh, quarantine? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm making it. How about you guys? We're doing good, man. Trying to stay busy, and that's why we uh, we connect the dots here. Glad to get you on the podcast. So go ahead and tell our listeners like who you are and uh, what team you play for. Um, Billy Max Shepard, uh, eight-year pro out of North Carolina. Um, I currently play for uh, Elitza Yavne out in Israel. Awesome. And if you wouldn't mind, give us the whole kind of like scenic route of your career thus far. So where you started playing basketball, what age essentially, and then what got you to where you are today? I mean, I started playing as far back as I can remember. Um, um, my parents put a ball in my hand at an early age. Uh, from the story they tell me, like, uh, my uncle would take me to the park when I was three or four years old. And when it was time to leave, I would start crying. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've been playing pretty much all my life. Um, I played Little League and on up, on up through school. And I started out at um, Lewisburg College, played there for two years. Um, went to Valdosta State, uh, did another two years there. And then my actual first, uh, my first professional job was in the G League, where it was the D League when I played um, a few years back. And um, so I played there for not even a full season, actually. I actually ended up getting hurt. And that my first professional season, I played in three different countries, which was an uh, experience. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I mean, I've kind of, in a nutshell, I've been all over, man. Um, I played in South America, Uruguay, Argentina, um, out in Europe, Germany, Austria. Uh, I played in Israel. Uh, I played in Japan, Taiwan, so all over a little bit man it's been a it's been a great experience so you said you went to two different colleges what what kind of made you decide to transfer um so lewisburg college is a um it's a junior college um so it was two years i did my two years there and then um i transferred out um, into a university which uh, i lost state and i did my last two years there Awesome. Yeah, that, that makes sense then. <laughs> um, so come like graduation and everything like that from from Valdosta State, um, what were your expectations? Did you think you were going to go straight into the NBA or did you expect to play in the, the D-League at the time? Um, I mean, obviously every kid's dream is the NBA. Um, so yeah, that was my ultimate goal. Um, but I knew coming from a small division, well, coming from a Division two school, um, I knew my chances were pretty low. Um, so uh, I signed with an agent, um, and uh, he set me up with, uh, with the D-League. So I actually ended up getting drafted into the D-League because they also held a draft. Um, so for me, hearing my name called, and that was, I mean, it was pretty satisfying at the time. Um, I'm from a small area, so um, I was actually the first first guy to – actually do something on that level for my area so it's pretty satisfying for me what is uh what does the draft look like or, or what did it look like for the d-league um so it was like in uh let me see this was some years ago man <laughs> way back machine <laughs> yeah it was like uh it was like an online type thing so you get online and um they pretty much it was eight rounds i believe or four four rounds 
remember. But anyway, you basically just wait until you hear your name call. And um, the fourth round came, and uh, Sioux Falls Sky Force were up to pick, and they ended up picking me in. And it was a great, it was a great feeling. So it being all online sounds pretty similar to what it may be for this next like draft in the in the summer. <laughs> yeah, for real. Those guys were ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> so you played some in the D League before playing overseas. Um, what what made you decide you wanted to make that jump into the FIBA realm of things? And I know you mentioned you got hurt a little bit. Did that did that play did that have an impact? Yeah, I think so. Um, like I said, I, I seen an injury. Uh, first in the D-League, and then uh, so I stuck around for a couple months and I ended up getting released. Um, I never really healed all the way properly. Um, so my agent, um, he got me a job down in uh, Uruguay, and that was my first time ever being out of the country, um, my first overseas job, and to be quite frank, I hated it. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I was, at the end of the day, I was thankful to be doing something that I love, and, um, so from there, I stayed there probably a month, month and a half, and then I flew straight from Uruguay to Lebanon, and I did like another two months there. So I played in three different countries my first season, and um, I mean it was cool. Um, once I started to learn how the how the business works and and things like that, it was easier to adjust um, to certain things. So yeah, I mean probably if I if I never got that injury, maybe I would have stuck around in the D League a little bit longer. Um, but I mean, as of now, man, I'm happy with how things turned out. What did the um what did the rehab process look like for that then kinda bouncing around from the D League to the different teams for your injury? Um by the time I got to Uruguay, because there was like a maybe a two or three week period where um I wasn't playing, I was just hanging around waiting for a job um so by the time by the time I got there I was I was about 90 percent um so I was pretty much healed up I was feeling a lot stronger um I was doing uh rehab uh, with the sky force so um I mean it kind of helped so yeah by the time I got to Uruguay man, I was feeling pretty good and feeling stronger and I was ready to go so what are some like fundamental differences, I guess, playing in the D-League versus overseas? Because, I mean, you, you hit them both pretty pretty quickly, back-to-back. The biggest one that I can think of excuse me, right off the top is that in the D-League, there's more spacing on the floor. The, the, the court is bigger. So it's a little bit easier to maneuver. It's a little bit easier to score. That's probably the biggest difference that I can think of right off the top. It's just the floor spacing. Um, and it just makes things a lot easier uh, to maneuver. Okay, so can you just can you tell a little uh, tell us a little bit about like the difference in play style per se? So you know how um, some leagues might kind of focus on the three pointer, might focus on like a a big time center or a, a old school center rather. Was um, there a, any differences between like the G League or the D League, excuse me, and uh, those countries that you played for at the time? Or even now, rather. You could even talk about how it's different now. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, it differs from, from country to country. Um, like I'll say, when I played in Argentina, as opposed to me playing in Israel or Germany, the Argentine league was a lot more physical. 
um, there's a lot of bigger guys, um, and that the refs allows you to play a little bit more and kind of be more physical and more aggressive. Um, that was one thing that I noticed from from Argentina and some places that I played in Europe. For the most part, man, it's not it's not a huge difference. I mean, you have talented guys everywhere, all all around the world. So, I mean, my game. My game really doesn't change. I mean, I can I can pretty much uh, fit any style of play. Um, I can switch my game up and and use my versatility to my strength. So, so other than like the floor spacing, are there a lot of other differences like from play or like the the way you play? I know like one of the big rules for FIBA is something that would be considered goaltending in the NBA might might be allowed to be passed when you like hit the ball off the top of the rim. Are there any other like big rules like that that are kind of different from the NBA D League versus FIBA overseas. Um, you know that that goaltending thing actually started. Um, well, they tested it out in the D League. Oh, really? So that was my, actually my first time seeing that, and I'm looking like, wait, that's is that legal? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's something that's that's the big difference. Um, man, I can't really think of, of of anything like that would make like a huge difference. Um, in today's game, I mean, the game is is it's a lot faster. Um, there's not you don't really have traditional centers anymore. Um, it's more of a running gun game, um, which <clears throat> which works to to my advantage personally because um, I'm like a stretch four uh, small forward, so I love to run the floor, <laughs> and that's it, man. I can't really think of besides the floor space. And that's probably the biggest the biggest difference that I can see at the. Well, that definitely makes, I mean, it makes a huge difference. For sure. For sure. It definitely does. So let's talk about kind of fan presence. So uh, I'm thinking as South America fans, uh, specifically if you watch uh, soccer or football, um, they're cr- they go crazy. They love the sports. They love it. Um, and sometimes they throw stuff on the field. Does that ever happen? Um, with, did that ever happen with basketball? Oh, man, there are those people are. Bro. Um, <laughs> that that was actually um, one of my favorite experiences as far as how the fans react to the games. I mean, they were crazy, and it was a it was a very fun atmosphere to be a part of. Like I said, they would throw stuff um, on the floor, and whenever you make a big shot or dunk or anything, man, they would lose their minds, and it was just. <laughs> Yeah, it's an exciting it's an exciting atmosphere because we as players, of course, we feed off that type of energy. Right. Um, so yeah, man, it was a lot of fun. Um, and on the other side of it, it can get kind of dangerous. I remember we were we had uh, an away game and we won right at the buzzer. So we get on the bus and we're leaving, and someone throws like a huge brick uh, into the window of our bus. Glass oh my gosh. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Glass shattered everywhere. Um, some of my it got in some of my teammates' faces. It was crazy, man. Guys had to go to the hospital and everything. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of crazy. So is that like is that would you say that's kind of straight across the board, or is it like that in, in Europe and Asia too? Um, no. I mean, uh, in Europe and Asia, yeah, with the crowd, um, they definitely have a lot of fan support. Um, but it's nothing like uh, nothing like what I experienced in Argentina as far as them trying to like hurt players or do anything of that of that caliber. 
You mean as far as like throwing bricks through windows? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we got you. <laughs> yeah, anything violent, they don't really. Um, I haven't seen much of that uh, in Europe or in Asia, from my experiences. Well, that's good. The less bricks, the better, in my opinion. For sure. <laughs> Both on and off the court, right? <laughs> so, um, comparing let's say basketball to soccer um does basketball kind of have that same draw or pull uh, as it does with in those other um countries um no man soccer in europe and, and uh south america is probably the sport um it's their soccer is like football in the u.s it's, i mean they go crazy they go crazy for soccer um so that's probably the biggest sport um, in, in europe and south america in my opinion how do you kind of like compete then? I guess against soccer, or how do you think like the front office at, at those different for the different teams you played for? Like, what do you think the big sell is to try and get more players to, or to get more fans to come to games versus soccer? I mean, you have to win. I mean, at the end of the day, people want to see a team that's winning. It's hard to to get up and support a team that's that's not winning, or you know, or not even competing at a high level. The, the team I play for this season. Last season, um, they kind of just right at the end made the playoffs and they didn't really have a, a big fan base. And then this season, we started winning early. Um, we won our first five games. You can see the turnaround and the fan turnout. I mean, we got our home game started getting a lot more packed. And so from my experience, man, you just have to win. Well, winning winning fills the seats, that's for sure. Um Owners of teams can kind of be eccentric sometimes, and that's that's saying it with an understatement, of course. Do you ha- have you had any in, like interesting encounters with them? Owners of teams. Mm-hmm. I have. Uh, there was one one season I played. I, I won't say the name of the team, but I had a few difficult, I'll say, encounters with the coach and the management. Um, I mean, for me, it just wasn't a good fit for me basketball wise and that just created a lot of tension between um owners and the coaches with me and they ended up they ended up releasing me and uh, that's another story but yeah I mean that was a that was a difficult experience for me but in the end I mean I ended up when they released me I ended up actually getting a better job with a better team so everything happens for a reason yeah they're lost they're lost. I agree. <laughs> so, what are some difficulties you faced um, playing overseas? Whether it's like from the fans with throwing bricks, or just <laughs> any other difficulties that have come across, maybe language barriers or anything like that. Um, language barrier. That that one is a tough one, um, and I dealt with it the most um, in Argentina and in Japan. Where I was in Japan, I was in a, like a really small town. Um, nobody spoke any English um, in the same in Argentina. So that was definitely um, tough to adjust to. Um, it's like you don't really have a, a social life. You can't just go out and you know make friends or talk to people and things like that. So that's definitely one that sticks out in language barrier. I mean, early on in my career, um, I kind of bounced around. Like I told you, the, my first season, I played in three different countries. And uh, so maybe my first two or three years I kind of bounced around a little bit um, and that was kind of difficult to adjust to which is having to adjust to different countries and different styles of living and playing but other than that man it's, it's been a pretty smooth ride I mean not not anything that 
couldn't handle thus far. How do you handle like practices in all these different countries? I know you said language is probably the biggest barrier. Do you have like a translator with you at all times or how does that work? Yeah. So in Japan, we had a translator. Um, I only played there for one season. So yeah, we had a, we had a translator there, but I played in Israel half of my career. I played there for four years. So um, everyone speaks English in Israel. So that was, I mean, that's a big help. And uh, my coach speaks English, all my teammates. So it, was, it wasn't hard at all to adjust to. Um, so obviously we didn't need a translator. South America, there was no translator. Coaches, I mean, they speak very minimal English. So it was, it was a bit tough. But if you understand the game, it, it's not really hard. Just go out there and score points and stop the other team from scoring points. Basketball is simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. It's probably a lot easier if you're 6'10", you know? Yes, that definitely helps too. <laughs> <laughs> so before all the coronavirus and everything, because you're home right now, um, you're not you're not overseas, right? Right. So before all this, your team was ranked third, and I guess, I mean, they still are ranked third in the National League. Um, and the, the, the European League's kind of set up a little different than it is here, so like, you guys have the chance to move up. The top the top teams have the chance to move up to what is called the Super League. Is that right? Uh, the Winter League, yep. Winter League, okay. Um, so can you describe kind of what looking like what playing in the different leagues and like moving up or, or even moving down in the leagues looks like? I know in the past, um, obviously the team that wins the championship in the National League, they move up to the Winter League. Um, but this year, I think they were doing the top, two teams would move up. So both teams that went to the finals would move up. And we were, like you said, we were one game back from first place. And we had four games left in the season before they canceled the season. So we had a really, really good chance, um, which is kind of frustrating. But um, there's not a huge difference um, in talent, in my opinion. Like, I know that I could play there and be just as effective. Um, in both leagues, so um, they do get a, um, a lot more fan support. Um, and some of those teams play in travel leagues, it's like uh, Champions League, Euro League, things like that. So you get more exposure on some of those teams. Obviously, you make more money. So yeah, those are probably the the biggest the biggest differences. Are there any like? big name Israeli players that you've gone up against that you think will kind of make the jump to the NBA? Because typically you don't hear about like Israel being a hub of um, like basketball. And it was interesting. We talked with an agent and he said that Greece and Israel were like kind of like power teams when it came to basketball. Yeah. Um, you have you have some of the best uh, EuroLeague teams in Greece and uh, Israel, like Maccabi Tel Aviv, Olympiacos, teams like that. Those teams are always powerhouse teams. Jerusalem. Um, as far as I haven't played against that I can remember any of those top Israeli guys. Um, what's his name? He's played. I can't think of his name. He was in the NBA. He's from Israel. But they do have some talent. I know they have a young guy that's being, uh, he's being scouted right now. I can't think of his name either. He's a young guy. But they do have some. They do have some talent, man. It's it's a it's an up and coming league, and it's a very competitive league. Did you play against Omri uh, Caspi? 
Omri Caspi. Thank you so much for that. It was going to bug the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never played against them, but that's that's who I was uh, speaking of. So I'm not sure. Like, do you do you know what's going to happen with um, like return to play and everything after the coronavirus kind of settles down? Have they said you're going to finish the season? Uh, man, I have no clue. Oh. Uh, I I doubt that they would try to finish the season. Um, they're probably just going to, I guess, wipe everything clean and, and start a new season. That would be my guess. Um, but I'm I'm actually not sure, man. I haven't heard anything. Uh, I mean, who even knows if if we're going to have a season? Like, we we don't know how long this thing is going to last. But thinking positive, man. Hopefully, it's it's not it's not too long and we can get back to to normalcy and get back to playing. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of a normal season, is a normal season the same like time frame as far as months go as when compared to like USA or the NBA? Probably a little bit longer. Um, yeah, overseas. I mean, we when I was in Japan, the season was ten months, so that was a that was a grind. But usually, yeah, it's about it's around nine months. And then if you obviously if you make it further into the playoffs, it gets into about ten or eleven months. I mean, it can be a long season. So I'm not sure what your contract looks like, but do you think you'll you'll go back to the team you're on now next year if, if your contract's expired this year? I don't, I don't know how all that works or, or what your contract looks like. Um, yeah, so I was on a I was on a one year deal this year. Well, kind of a one plus one. If um, we were to win a championship, then I would have a guaranteed contract for next season. But I mean, they've made it clear to me that they want me to return. Um, I'm open to it for sure. Um, you know, I loved it there. Um, Israel is one of my favorite places in the world um, on and off the floor so I'm definitely open to it um, you know it just has to make sense of course not to get too political but Israel can have a lot going on uh, especially with their bordering countries um, how do you and your teammates stay safe and focused on the game with all that goes on around you honestly man I haven't I can't say that I've, that I've really dealt with a lot of that uh, like I said I've been there for four years um and for me, man, it's been a great experience. Like I, I love Israel, everything about it. Um, for me, I mean, it's one of the, it's one of the safest places in the world. Um, I know they do have some, some things going on with the with the neighboring countries, but like I said, I, I haven't experienced any of it. So you've played for quite a few countries, probably a lot more countries than I know me and Gabe have been to. Um, <laughs> Where has has Israel you say been your favorite favorite place to uh, play for or, or play at? I guess. Uh yeah, man, that's definitely my favorite. Once again, I've, I mean, four years, half of my I played. I've been playing eight years, so half of my career, um, I've spent in Israel, and I mean, I love everything about it, man. The, the weather is great. Uh, you know, there's beaches everywhere. The food is good. People speak English. It just feels like home, and I think that's what. That's a big part of why I've been there so long is because um, it's just comfortable for me. And I like to be comfortable on and off the floor because somewhere you're going to be nine, eight, nine, ten months out of the year. I mean, it definitely helps to, to be comfortable. So when you retire, are you going to have a house in Israel? <laughs> hey, man, I would love to. <laughs> I would love to. Have you ever pulled the line quote, I, pr- I play pro basketball, end quote, to get out of a ticket or to get into a party? Because I know me and Nick have tried multiple times with uh, saying, like, hey, we, we have a podcast, um, let us in. It never works for us, but has it ever worked for you? 
Um, to get out of a ticket, no, I've never. I always just own up to it. Like, yeah, I was speeding, officer. Just, just give me a ticket. Um, oh, good call. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but to get in a party, oh man, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, usually when when people see me, like I'm I'm tall, so they're like, oh, who do you play for? So I've stretched the truth a few times for for sure to get in a party. What is the furthest you've stretched the truth? What does that mean? <laughs> The most recent one, probably, maybe I'll say two years ago, two summers ago, I was in Atlanta with a friend, and um, there was this, like, private party, and they wouldn't let people in, I guess, unless you're on a list or whatever the case is, and we walk up to the door, and they were like, oh, it's a private party, um, you know, we're not, we can't let people in, so my friend was like, oh, my my friend plays for the Atlanta Hawks, he was talking about me, and I'm looking at her like, yo, don't say that, because they might ask me who I am, <laughs> And they were like, oh, really? You play for the Hawks? I'm like, yeah. They were like, oh, you guys come on in. And they just <laughs> let us in. <laughs> and awesome. they, gave us, um, they gave us free food, free drinks. I mean, they treated us like royalty when they, once they found out I played for the Hawks. I'm like, man, that's crazy. When people actually think you're someone, how they treat you <laughs> with so much more respect. But yeah, that was probably the most recent one I could think of. That night I played for the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> that's awesome. So is there like playing playing in Europe? Is there that same kind of like uh, worship of pro athletes internationally, like there is in the U.S.? Like we've seen some fans with like jerseys, shoes, or even some fans get tattoos of their favorite players. Is that is that kind of the same internationally too? It may not be as extreme as it is as far as like getting tattooed and things like that, but yeah, I mean they if they uh, support a team or, or a player that they like. They definitely, I mean, you definitely have their full support. Um, like I know in Israel, some of the fans, they would invite me over for dinner sometimes with them and their families. You know, they would invite me out to different, maybe to have a drink or something like that or have wear one of my jerseys to the game and ask for autographs and things like that. So they're definitely supportive. Did you ever go and eat with these families or have drinks with these people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in Israel... They have what they call Shabbat, um, and every Friday, like Friday evening, um, it's like their family time, so they have all their family over for dinner, and pretty much everybody just sits down and eat and things like that, so um, yeah, man, every Friday I would go with either some of my teammates or some of the fans would invite me over, and I would, I would go have dinner with them. That's just hard for me to visualize because we have this like whole... I guess thought process of protecting the protecting the NBA players at all cost, and I can't imagine like going up to someone as um, as tough as Russell Westbrook and saying like, "Hey, you want to come over for dinner?" <laughs> right, <laughs> that probably be a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, but that's awesome. I mean, just just talk about different cultures and everything. That's 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 an awesome concept. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, they're very like uh, family oriented people, and they have a lot of uh, different like holidays and things that you know everyone just gets together and they eat and drink and just have a good time so i mean it's good to be a part of especially when you're so far away from home you have no family um so i mean a lot of those people are like families that's good and that's good that you have an environment like that for sure for sure so you talked about are like when you're walking in the street uh, of wherever you're at in israel uh are do you people recognize you Do fans recognize you yeah, man, absolutely. Um, and it's it takes me by surprise sometimes. I mean, it's always a good feeling, but it's like, wow, these people really know who I am. I mean, I'll be like 
or the random day just in the middle of the mall and kids or people just run up to me it's like hey you're billy McShepard. i remember you blah blah blah. like i love you i'm like oh man thank you like <laughs> it's a great feeling um and it kind of catches me off guard sometimes that people actually know who i am so one of the weirdest things uh, I know in the NBA that a player has signed was a toaster with Clay Thompson. Have you ever been asked to autograph something strange? Someone asked me to autograph their baby. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do <laughs> that it? That was probably yeah. That was probably the weirdest thing. I'm like, you want me to autograph their shirt or like, no, like, no. I want you to autograph my baby. I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> Wait, so you did it? Yeah, I did it. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. awesome. That tops the toaster. <laughs> I did. That, that definitely tops the toaster. <laughs> they probably haven't given that baby a bath. They're just watching, they're looking at the Billy McShepard autograph all day long. Yeah, that was, that was I did it. Thanks for your support. <laughs> so when me and my wife have a baby, well, I'll call you up and get you to autograph my baby. I got you, man. I got you, baby. Um, how does it look like for like endorsements and stuff like that? Do you, do you currently have any endorsements playing? Are going for no, you? No, I don't. No, I don't have any endorsements. Um, I wish that would be that would be great, but no, I don't. Gotcha. We can endorse you. How about that? We'll just cardboard box seats. <laughs> yeah, I'm down, man. Let's do it. We'll send you some stickers. And a t-shirt. Let's we'll send you a t-shirt. Yeah, we'll send you a t-shirt. About? That's true. I'm down, man. I'm down with any any pair of nigga. Let's do it, man. Send it all over. T-shirts, socks, anything. I'll take it all. <laughs> So this is a question that we typically ask all of our guests at the end of each uh, episode. So what would you recommend to someone who wants to play basketball professionally? And let's assume in this case that they do have the talent. Are there any like tricks of the trade that you want to mention that have kind of helped you get through the process? Stay consistent. That's what, I mean, that's what helped me tremendously. Um, the process like I said I hit I've hit a lot of bumps in the road along the way and I could have easily just said man forget this I'm not I'm not doing this anymore it's not working um but I, I have a I have a genuine passion and love for the game so I wouldn't just give up on something that I love like that so with me man I would say I would tell anyone man, if this is if this is what you really want to do stay consistent and don't take no for an answer do everything that you need to do so you can perform at a high level and stay consistent with that work ethic. And that's probably the best advice I can give you. Awesome. Well, Billy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We had a blast talking to you about overseas basketball, and uh, we hope you have a great rest of your uh, social distancing quarantine. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me.
Thank <laughs> you.